And that means it's time for the first hour of the Dr. and Mrs. Future Show. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Ladies and gentlemen, KSEO presents the Dr. Future Show. If you would like to join in our show today, you can call us at 831-479-1080. That's 831-479-1080. And now, your host, Dr. Future. Hey, folks. Welcome to the show this week. Happy Thanksgiving. This is kind of our... Thanksgiving show. We've got a little party going on in the studio here today. We're going to introduce you to all the uh, celebrants of this amazing week that we get to share. First of all, thank you, Mrs. Future, for being here and running the board. My pleasure. Yeah. I hope I'm not making big mistakes, but I yeah. do my best. Bobby's traveling around, our science correspondent. He will check in when he can. He's out with his wife somewhere right now. Probably surfing, knowing them. Yeah, probably. Probably <laughs> like that. And in the studio from Los Angeles area, Huntington Beach, we have Giselle, Giselle Bizon. But of course, she is a Silicon Valley girl. She's been covering the Bay Area tech scene and startup scene and media scene for... Since 1984. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's how I met Al Lundell. We were both working at InfoWorld. Back in the early days. Back in the the early days of technology journalism when it was big news if someone was using a personal computer. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Stop the presses. I hear that the Grateful Dead have a personal... Computer. <laughs> well, that's the, the wall of sound, man. Dan Healy. Yeah, Great it was happening. It was exciting times. Lucasfilm and Grateful Dead for sure. Early users of the tech. I think I, I, I had to interview Al for a story about flying saucers in his backyard or something like what Something was like that? that. That was the early days of uh, VTOL aircraft. That right, was, uh, Dr. Paul Mahler and the engineer professor at UC Davis who had been designing some of the first vertical takeoff and landing aircraft for consumers. Right. And We're I'm still working on that. Now the grandfather of, of that field. <laughs> he and, is an influencer. Yeah. I, I understand that Joe Ben Biver was one of his interns That's at a right. certain point. That's right. And right. Joe Ben will be more famous when From he, Joby Aviation. his stuff starts flying probably next year. And Joby Aviation, I think we made note of this on the last show, but for people who aren't aware, apparently Joby Aviation has purchased the building of Plantronics and is going to be operating out of there real soon. That's so. right. That's right. They'll be, uh, in Santa be Cruz. more of a presence. In Santa Cruz, yeah. I'm wondering if that's the, the building across from Costco. I guess yeah. we'll see it when we go in. It says Polly or something on it now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, they're just buying it. Uh-huh. They'll close escrow this month, I think. I think VTOL and drones have been part of the Santa Cruz culture as a tech startup because everybody's dreaming of being able to get out of the mountains and go to the beach without waiting in traffic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> traffic. Right. The traffic jams <laughs> Who needs on traffic 1 and 17 are fly the motivation there. for flying cars. Makes sense <laughs> that's why. That's what's it's driving just, the technology here. Let's just land on the beach. Well, let's just get an aircraft that can also maybe land on the water. Hey. Uh, also in the studio, we have Bruce McHenry, who's a chairman of a nonprofit, not for sales company called We Me. And he is an expert in both energy and transportation. Transportation. And we had him on the show last year talking about some ideas he had on mass transit. He is here as well in the studio. Welcome, Bruce, to well, the thanks. show. Thanks. Yeah, I used to be the uh, expert in road trains, leading mm-hmm. advocate. 
I passed that mantle over to a very talented young Italian who went to Dubai and raised money. And now the European Union has many partners involved in creating a road train, which is a bus. So you could start to convert one bus line at a time into these bus modules that would be able to join the bus as it goes past uh, the train bus. And that would never stop for pickups. Keep moving. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. So the buses would connect with each other and form a train. While in motion, and the modules would come off and make the stops. And you make the transfers on board the bus for the module that you're, is going where you want to be going. So the bus itself on a street with continuous green lights would never stop. Hmm. Yeah. Did you find when you were really paying attention to it that it was very difficult to make inroads in new ideas in transportation? Well, it is a difficult area to make inroads because the rolling stock lasts 20 years. The government owns the roads, and it's very difficult to change the system, and it changes very slowly. Is it true you have three degrees from MIT? There is the rumor. (laughs) (laughs) Can you confirm or deny? (laughs) I I had the diploma sent to away, so I don't even have it. You don't even look at it. You're just sliding on reputation at this point. (laughs) (laughs) No more resumes. (laughs) One of the big stories this week we just got to cover is what's happening with Twitter. Yes, yes, definitely. Well within our ballywick, and that's one of Giselle's real contributions is that she really knows the ins and outs of Twitter and has been using it very effectively for quite some time. So, are you worried about Elon's buying it? No, I I'm so excited that he bought it. My following bounced immediately. I mean, a lot of people who had been suppressed. Yeah. More controversial voices remarked that even when it was announced that he was taking over, they started to get a big boost in following. Also, you know, more people paying attention to Twitter. It was sort of a lagging, flagging, dying social network, and this is really bringing it back to life again. It's bringing huh? it back to life. A social network is only as good as the people on it. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news yeah. I read today was that they were aiming to replace engineers and set up some new goals and hire people now that two-thirds of their workforce actually quit or was laid off they're actually now hiring again and i also heard that the engineers that lost their jobs actually are are being wooed by many other silicon valley companies for hire oh, i'm so not surprised nobody is suffering really well i shouldn't say nobody but it seems like if you're an engineer you have many options well Dissolve to evolve, I like to say. It's going to shake it up and probably introduce some positive growth, right? San Francisco real estate's going to take another hit because Twitter was right down there in that area right by City Hall. Oh. Um, There was a lot of housing that was put up specifically for Twitter employees because they, you know, that was a kind of unique that they had an office building right in that neighborhood which was not mm-hmm. typically a corporate neighborhood yeah interesting. Um, but hopefully yeah. musk will help maybe fix things up down there yeah i maybe hope we'll have a solution to the homeless too <laughs> maybe <laughs> hire them at twitter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's just about time for our first breaks there's some next. interesting hires that he's done i just want to mention a couple of those before we change the topic a little bit more information on the Twitterverse. All right. So hang tight, everybody. It's Future Tuesday. Dr. and Mrs. Future are here with our guests, Giselle and Bruce. And stay tuned. We'll be back. 
Okay, welcome back. To complete the conversation on Twitter, Twitter is notorious for having a really poor search functionality. So Elon has hired somebody who actually he didn't get along with, a guy named George Hotz, who has criticized Elon in the past. And George Hotz is going to try to fix that. He is known in the industry as an iPhone hacker mm-hmm. and really good at it. And he's willing to do it as an intern <laughs> for Twitter. So we'll see how that flies. Also, that they're planning to make Twitter direct messages end-to-end encrypted, which it hasn't been. And this will be more in alignment with like Messenger and, and the iPhone. WhatsApp and, and a lot of the yeah, other Twitter's current be up to date. social media standards. Right. <laughs> and supposedly... considerations. Exactly, yeah. And supposedly Signal creator Moxie Mollenspike is willing to help with that mm. process. Oh, I Signal, which is considered one of the best encryption communication tools mm-hmm. out there right now. And also there's a plan being formed right now. They haven't really gone into the details of it, of the fix the impersonations problem. Sure. Especially with Twitter Blue, which is... <laughs> which, of course, everybody knows that was uh, the first big blooper of the yeah. takeover, of the Twitter takeover, is trying to get rid of impersonators and then having a whole wave of... Elon impersonators all show you how broken the Twitter blue system is. (laughs) (laughs) And my goodness, you'll hear a lot of criticism right now, too. And because of that, a lot of people still are leaving Twitter. And alternatives for Twitter are in high demand right now, Mm. including Apple fellow Phil Schiller. He's probably seen on a lot of the Apple broadcasts if you're an Apple Mm -hmm. person. Mastodon so far seems to be the most popular. What do you think about that as a publicist? Well, Mastodon, join Mastodon.org. That takes so long just to type that in. I I name alone, it's not very memorable. It's hard to say. Uh I just don't think it's going to fly. It reminds me of Alta Vista. It reminds me of, you know, I mean, there have been so many competitors, for example, in the early days of YouTube. There were many competitors to YouTube. One was called Video Egg. Whatever happened to it? Mm-hmm. YouTube won because it was it was a memorable name. It said what it was. Mm-hmm. Mastodon sounds like it's ancient. It's in the past. Mm-hmm. It's archaic. So well, you we'll think see. the name alone is a reason name not alone to join? is going to kill it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I see. Twitter is a little bird. Told me Mastodon is an old well, Twitter extinct is, animal. Is trying to remember. Is your tw- <laughs> your your twittering? It's a it's the noise. Mm-hmm in the background, basically. I mean, Twitter didn't catch on very fast. I remember the first person who told me about it was Daniel Kotke, mm-hmm. when Apple, Apple employee yeah. number one, ostensibly, right. mutual friend of all of us here in Silicon Valley. And, you know, a lot of people couldn't understand the concept mm-hmm. of Twitter. I certainly didn't get it. Oh, I remember Leo Laporte for years would always say something about Twitter and just what a crazy experience it was to be getting these little snippet updates from people you didn't know and what a unique and useless perspective it was. Why would I want to say anything in just 144 characters? (laughs) Um, Well, originally the idea of Twitter was you created a group and you could communicate with your own group. The follower. Yeah, you were creating a group that you could automatically update your group. It was supposed to be people you actually knew. What do you think of the um, Elon detractors that are saying that he's just using it to promulgate his belief system? I think they don't understand Elon Musk. Yeah, to, yeah. to say that is such a Twitter. gross oversimplification of the power of buying the most. He just bought, he's the richest man in the world. He just spent the most money ever to buy the biggest media empire on earth. Mm-hmm. 
that's what Musk did. And he understands that freedom of the press belongs to somebody who owns one. He just bought the biggest press. Bill Gates owns MSNBC, yeah. right? Bezos owns the Washington Post. That's right. All media, I've been in media since 1984. And as I recall, it's always owned by a rich person. Somebody owns this radio station, for example. Or the right? Murdoch Empire. Or- yeah, there's a, yeah. They're, you know, going back to Hearst. Once you have money, you understand that owning media gives you power and influence in your community or gives you political influence Mm -hmm. Huffington Post Mm -hmm. right so do you think maybe it was a natural once uh, Elon started saying that he's a free speech absolutist it was just a question of which media package he should attain well I think he picked Twitter because he's so brilliant I mean he understands that Twitter is all of the media Mm -hmm. in one place Mm -hmm. but it's interesting juxtaposition between that and Zuckerberg for example it, it you know, the uh, Facebook, who spent $2 billion for Oculus and mm-hmm. to develop the metaverse. And that's the future in many respects, $2 billion. And here, Twitter, which is a much simpler thing in many respects, $44 billion for it. Well, um, they're not so on the So it's not about the technology. Scale. They're it's not on the... But Twitter requires less technology yeah. to use. Yeah. And I think that's what already he understands now, rather as than a the globalist. In that sense. Yeah. Um, is you don't... And nobody needs to upgrade their system in order to use Twitter. It was originally developed so that it's downwardly mobile. It works with the least amount of technology required and the least amount of space. Currently, though, I understand he has plans for having YouTube capabilities at Twitter with long videos and being able to pay content creators. Twitter should go more in the direction of something that Facebook has kind of failed at is being a multimedia channel where people can converse live like what if we did what we're doing in StreamYard and zoom and we had live broadcasts where everybody interactively could participate and another thing about twitter that's really powerful that he recognizes is it's the gateway to open democracy where we could have a voting system like reinstating trump that's right that was just him experimenting with that and it was brilliant i wanted to comment on the reinstating trump because you know the popular narrative is not that different than the one you just said about well the reason elon bought this is because he's a billionaire who wants more clout he just bought the influence and they're really basically attributing that to his need to support right-wing political views which I think is a real misdirection because as somebody who participated in that poll, just before that poll was put out, there was a few tweets and some links about the way that the Twitter algorithm is changing and the way that Mm -hmm. they're working to specifically identify marginal views that contribute something new to the conversation. And so they have a new weighting system that basically gives you one point if you're a real person who says yes to something and it subtracts influence points if you are a bot, if you are somebody who is voting the way of a group, if you're like an identified member of a group. So if your profile predicts your vote, that's not necessarily going to give you more cloud in the way that it was before. He calls this change that he's eliminating the pylon effect Pylon um, effect. Yes, piling on. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant P-Y-L-O-N. No, yeah. piling on. Like the, the idea that the crowd follows the front runner, you know, that somebody dictates what the point of view is and everybody else votes that way. 
and he's actually waiting um the influence of someone who reaches outside of their own profile and says something that contributes to a deeper understanding. And so he's kind of bringing the marginal perspective to a more influential place. You know, you're really highlighting the fact that that was such an important meeting that Business Insider wrote, you know, Elon Musk posts pictures with engineers as they leave a Twitter code review. I mean, he posted those pictures to help call attention to the fact that, that what he said in that meeting was important. And that's what you're talking about right now. I think yeah. it needs more attention. Yeah. It's yeah, the change in the algorithm. People, they're so politically savvy that they miss how an engineer is actually trying to codify a political problem, which is the idea of ballot stuffing for voting. Uh, do you think we ever better have a real voting system with Twitter? Do you think this is I a precursor to the testing ground. maybe yeah. votes from your phone for all kinds of things? Twitter could be so many different things, and I think that's why he's getting cut down by anyone who's threatened by what he just did. Well, so they're going to say, oh, he's supporting the right. I mean, what he's doing is he's enabling the right and the left to communicate yeah. fairly. It's democracy. Yeah, I, I think it was really interesting that the margin was so close on yeah. the poll for reinstating Trump. It was kind of like a 51-49 split. was close. Yeah. yeah. There's some people who think, great, that's how democracy should work. But that actually, if you think about tyranny of the minority, means that almost as many people didn't get their way as did get their way. And that isn't really democracy. That's really just waiting in line until it's your turn, you mm. know? But it's a form mm. of making decisions that has its place. Though. Sure. Yeah, instant polls. Sure. And mm -hmm. in yeah. the case, it generated so much dialogue. Like most of the people like myself who were saying, yes, we can reinstate him, were of the opinion that America is based on being able to listen to views that you don't like and that a person shouldn't be penalized for expressing themselves and that the conversation... Even if to, they're the president. Yeah, even <laughs> if they're the president. Should be able to have another poll that uninstates him? Uh, well, if, uh, no, but the idea like that he he's inciting violence yeah. is something that people yeah. like to say. And uh -huh. inciting violence, if there's a criminal act there, there needs to be the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And we shouldn't be having the media condemn people instead of the legal process, right? If we Absolutely. can't you don't allow wanna, the legal process to wanna, give due process, we have failed. You don't think one day there'll be a trial by Twitter? There already has <laughs> been a trial by Twitter. No, there There's hanging by Twitter for sure. <laughs> I see. Well, it's an evolving, moving target, so we have a lot to, to see in this arena. Anyway, thanks for exploring this a little bit. All right, folks, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Also, we're going to have a very special thing about Thanksgiving at 3 o'clock. I think it would be quite engaging okay. conversation. Cool. Also, this is the Kennedy's assassination day, oh. November 22nd, 1963. And we've got some news in that department too to share with you. Okay. So we'll be right back. Hey, folks, welcome back to the show. You know, it was really cool watching those stunning photos coming in of the Earth and the Moon from Artemis 1. 
NASA's return to the moon. That was a unique picture. Yes, it seems 50 like years. The, the new camera they sent is kind of like an iPhone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it makes the Earth look really small and it makes the moon look really big. It does portraits very well, but you can't it's getting really close see to the, the details. Moon. It's getting really close to the moon. Yeah, they look kind of like uh, GoPros on the uh, attached to the spaceship. <laughs> that's our that's our NASA for us. The best cameras. Yeah, thirty-two story tall rocket. Yeah, moved it up there, and we'll be seeing more information over that over this the next few Thanksgiving days. It could be quite um, interesting photos. I really like the pale blue dot of the Earth. The Earth rise behind the moon is the yeah. classic shot. We have that posted up on our links page, drfutureshow.com. Yeah. It's really links. a new iconic view of Earth that I don't think we've seen before. The closest would be the Carl Sagan quote from, I think it was the Voyager view of the tiny little Earth. The pale blue dot. The pale blue dot through the rings of Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. We see a little more closer, you know, more details. Yeah. Uh, on this one. Of course, it's only near the moon, so. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really miles away, I think, was, lovely uh, new perspective. Yeah, it makes so. the Earth look smaller and more vulnerable. Yeah. It kind of puts things in perspective a little bit. Yeah. And uh, the moon is dominating the picture, so it's yeah, kind of. it's big. Moon the big, The satellite is more important <laughs> than the, the mama planet. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. I wanted to mention last week I was finishing on a story about honeybees. Yeah. I just wanted to complete that. The idea was that honeybees today live about 50% shorter lifespan than they did 50 years ago, back when NASA was first going to the moon. But back then, honeybees lived an average of 32 days, and now they're 16 days in length. And that's with controlled environment, where they're raised in a sterile environment. So it's not because of pollution or pesticides or anything like that. It's because somehow genetically they are living a shorter amount of time. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of speculation as to why that is. Mystery. Yeah, it is a bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to say on that. Somehow they're actually living shorter. The other <laughs> crazy science news this week was that there is a startup in Dallas, Colossal, a company called Colossal, who are de-extincting woolly mammoths. <laughs> Not mastodons. No, No, not mastodon. Of course, I guess they could do a mastodon (laughs) if they get the DNA for it. But you've probably heard about the woolly mammoth in other news. It's sort of been something that people have been thinking about for a little while, but they're actually doing it. Also, Tasmanian tigers. Tasmanian tigers are being brought back. So the concept is controversial. And what's also interesting is that it's being funded by InQtel, which is a CIA-owned operation. Whoa. Yes. What um, do they really want? Well, that's the question, is what does the CIA really want with de-extincting animals? Yeah, haven't we seen this in Jurassic Park? Well, they right, we didn't see right. CIA in there, did we? I mean, I, I don't know if the intelligence was involved with Jurassic Park, but in this case, it seems it's not so much about the animal per se, but it's about the technology that allows you to, to de-extinct things. Right. The, At first, uh, CRISPR Cas9 technology. Panda bears or something, and then the yeah. next thing you know, they're bringing back uh, Neanderthals, Cro Mags, Hitler. I mean, you could bring anything back, right? Hitler's mm-hmm. children. <laughs> 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 I guess yourself, you could bring back bodies for cloning. All these sorts of things become possible with this technology in so, sci-fi. Well, sci-fi for sure. Sure, but, but CRISPR gene editing tools are getting more and more sophisticated all the time. Mm-hmm. And de-extincting animals and cloning 
are things that we've been talking about for a generation now. Mm-hmm. And they're reaching a, a point of being able to be successful. Yeah. There have been a few iterations along the way. Like I remember a few years ago, there was the literal Jurassic Park experiment to try and bring back some prehistoric dinosaurs using chicken DNA, right? They were starting with a descendant of the line and then targeting specific parts of the genome to make it more like the original. Yeah, you can, a simplified explanation is that you can revert the genome (laughs) <laughs> make it go backwards or don't allow more modern expressions to express themselves and reverse the course of sure. the animal. That yeah, because if the gene is in there, then it's the epigenetics that bring it out. And so the research is how do we bring out the potential and how do we use our SNP tools to put genes in there that we want to express. And what do we want to see? Mm-hmm. What do we want to see happen? Naturally, we want to stop genetic diseases that and they're not that, you know, remember Bruce Lipton had told us that most diseases are not genetically based, but the few that are, we can actually work with them, mm-hmm. like uh, sickle cell anemia, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what the CAA want with it, nobody really knows. But anyway, I thought that was interesting to mention to you. And it also ties in with another very interesting story about how there are alternatives to adoption now. That it's becoming available. <laughs> From where, gene splicing mastodons to adoption. Well, no, well, it's adopting embryos. Uh-huh. Embryos started to be frozen starting about 35 years ago. Uh-huh. And literally thousands of embryos have been put on ice, if you will. Yeah. And they're adoptable. I have to say this article on the DrFutureShow.com links page today is the strangest article that you have in terms of the various things that it brings together because one of the slants of this story is that the couple that now has had twins right from these ancient embryos these 35 year old embryos they kind of broke the world record for the oldest eggs that have been used to help a family create a new baby right Right? so these are the Um, oldest eggs so far harvested for in vitro fertilization Right? Yes, that's right. 30 years. 30 years. 35, uh, isn't it? Thir- well, that's how long they've been doing it. But these are 30-year-old eggs. Oh. Lydia and Timothy Ridgway, mm-hmm. October 31st, the big, big twins, long frozen embryos right. resulting in a live birth from embryos stored at the National Embryo Donation Center. Mm-hmm. So it's possible an older embryo can be used, and that's what they've showed. Yeah, Even so that little egg was just being held at minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah it's kind of mind-boggling in a way. Well, uh, those frozen embryos don't really need adoption, but currently there are over 400,000 kids in U.S. foster care yeah. who do need adoption. Mm. So why would somebody Why well, do you want to adopt an embryo? Well, an apparently embryo. it's a lot easier <laughs> to well, adopt I guess it's cheaper. That's a little yeah. tiny thing. It's an embryo. Not but this article sort of alluded to the fact that this couple who already has four kids wanted to take pity on the embryos that had been waiting the longest to become babies. Their thought process was that they were doing something very compassionate for these little embryos. Like mm-hmm. life starts at the embryo. Right? Wow, that's such an ethical debate, especially in light of what just happened to Roe versus Wade. Yeah. 
Well, the American yeah. Society for Reproductive Medicine says, quote, application of the term adoption to embryos is inaccurate, is misleading, and could place burdens upon recipients and should be avoided. But many colloquial call the donor process embryo adoption, nonetheless. Well, because in this story, this embryo was actually held by the parents who had donated it. They themselves were creating it for themselves. And then they reached a point in their lives where they realized they weren't going to use it. And so they made it available for donation. Before then, it was theirs. And so it was recently contributed to the pool for people who were looking for embryos. Actually, I did a little research here and found that adopting a frozen embryo costs $14,000. And the average cost of an adoption of a grown baby is $43,000. So it is cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess it raises other questions too. Is is a frozen embryo considered alive uh, or only after it's thawed? Is it... Well, you know, uh, apparently there were five uh, of these embryos that were unfrozen for this event, and two of them were not viable, three of them were viable, and of the three, I don't know, I don't know what their fate was, but I guess you don't know until you try. I guess not. (laughs) They say there's an 80% survival rate when thawing frozen embryos. Mm -hmm. Well, this puts women at parity with men when it comes to sperm donation as an income-generating when you're in college. <laughs> yeah, it's like I wish it was available job. to me as an opportunity <laughs> when you, I was in college. Yeah, yeah it's, it's freeze your eggs and maybe later on Better you might want to stuffing jelly donuts, take a look at I it. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it looks like the age of the embryo doesn't affect the health of the child, which is good. It's pretty interesting. And also it adds credence to the idea that if you want to live longer yourself. You could freeze yourself. It gets us closer to cryogenics. Yeah, the Alcor Corporation and the Cairo Preservation. Alcor actually tried to interview me for a PR job once. Uh, Really? I got a tour of the place. How would you like to become a corpsicle? (laughs) (laughs) But Al, just in terms of if this really paves the way for thinking you can freeze your adult body, your your well, I know embryos are easier. Embryos are easier. That's yeah, but true. imagine but if you had an 85% viability of freezing yourself. That wouldn't be very good. No, it's like, th- what do you want to lose? Your arm, your face, your skin? I mean, no, you know, no, that's no. a lot to sacrifice. You're right. You're right. I think I'd probably have to clone myself a few times, and then hopefully one of them will survive. <laughs> Oh, they can Frankenstein it out. Like, you know, maybe yeah. they'd each have different parts that worked and then you could combine them all together. Yeah, you could do that too. <laughs> well, having replacement parts would be great. Yeah, spare body parts. Spare uh, that, that body is parts. Absolutely. We have it for our cars. Why don't we have it for ourselves? You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, what, you'd probably have to get all the clones to vote like which ones we're going to call it a day and which ones we're going to contribute to the future final one. Yeah, a vote, huh? Using Twitter? Yeah, probably using Twitter, but give all the clones equal votes. Fair enough. (laughs) I'd be willing to do that. Guess what time it is. Ah, time for a commercial. All right, we'll see you right after the break. Okay, welcome back, folks. Uh, we have a couple callers. We're going to take a couple callers now before our Thanksgiving special after three. 
Mm-hmm. So who do we have on the line, Mrs. Future? We're going to start with Steve from Seaside. Hi, Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. Hey. I thought we already had the cloning thing going with, with the Chinese giving us the yeah. flu. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's cloning, huh? That's uh, kind of mutation, too, eh? <laughs> no, it killed my brother. And it made my mother live in like in a concentration camp. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, look, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't funny. realize that. Well, I I beg your pardon. I didn't know that you were suffering. Well, you know, we have been very critical of the whole vaccine thing for a long time. That's something we have some compassion for. Yeah. And- no, wait a minute. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You've got compassion? I hope so. Extremely. You've got compassion? Yeah, you don't? I mean, come on. Did you just call to heckle us? Did yeah, are you a troll you in or some what? Way? No, no, I'm not a troller. Well, what's, what? your, what's My your family suffered big time. Right. And you guys are sitting there going... No, well, listen uh, no, to our I'm show. Sure you, you see are, that yeah. we cover this. We cover this quite extensively. We're very upset about the VAERS database being misinterpreted and being covered up by this stuff. We absolutely have a lot of issues with the way in which the virus issue was handled. And we're very sorry for your loss. And... We have friends, too, that have passed from that, and it's terrible. It's a terrible thing, and I hope our country learns from the, its mistakes on this. Our country? Yes. Which country are you from? Did you serve? <laughs> yeah, I'm serving the peace movement, my friend. And it says no, every bit uh, is, what serve? Uh, what, what branch did you serve? Well, you're 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 kind of kind of coming across where nothing will be accomplished. Yeah, Steve. No, I mean, I, no, I, no, I'm, I, I'm, I, it's no, not good. Steve, it's not Steve good. I have to let you know that I'm putting your volume down because not because we can't have a conversation but because we are wanting to have a civil conversation and we're not into abuse we're into mutual respect and we're into asking each other questions and then having a conversation that involves talking to each other not yelling at each other and casting accusations and things like that so i'm going to Give you the, back the volume and... Uh, She's nicer than me. <laughs> I'll tell you that. All right. There you go. The, no, I like to talk to this guy. He said he served. I said I not. served in the peace movement, the peace my friend, movement. not the uh, not the wars. I could have oh, been... Which war are you talking about? Vietnam. What about uh, just loving... What yeah. about loving your identity but as an yeah, American we all, and standing for our values? Yes, we all have our values. We all have our approach and we try to be civil on talk radio yeah this is a i'm being civil right now okay good good okay so and i'm listening to you talk all your horsely and i'm trying what you served what you served yourself no you listen to yourself talk on the radio believe me to create peace on this planet is a lot of work everybody's much work if not more than waging war takes a lot of energy yeah peace in your heart and then peace in your family and yeah, then peace and in your community and then peace in the world it kind of goes in that direction thinking for yourself have you guys lost your mind you're non-sequiturs anyway steve. we gotta go thanks <laughs> steve your but you're uh okay let's say hi to you gene in monterey hi, hey gene. gene in monterey actually it is steve so oh Hi, Steve. <laughs> oh, oh, Steve. The other guy, one caller thinks he's drunk. So, uh, well, anyway, on the anniversary of John Kennedy's murder, I just want to point out that yeah, the real reason that we are still in the dark about it, sixty years later or whatever, is the Kremlin killed John Kennedy, and 
we can't handle the truth, and the government's not going to give us that option to see if we can or cannot handle the truth. Well, you know, I've I've heard. This, as a matter of fact, I was reading that last night. I was I was looking at some of the documents that have been recently declassified and that are in the National Archives. And one of them was just about that. It was about the idea that the Kremlin killed Kennedy, and that there was also a big concern that uh, he was killed because uh, Bobby Kennedy, his brother, was aggressively pursuing the mafia and that the mafia might have teamed up with the Kremlin through Castro to create the murder. So yes, that was in the documents that had been released and are fairly well known. But it's just not, hasn't picked up as big a following as some other theories. You know, but it's an interesting one, and, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Is Can it, I speak some more on the matter? Sure. Okay. The reason I come to that conclusion is uh, Kennedy was in the process of exploding Castro's head with a cigar, remember? Yes. Therefore, they made sure that when they did kill him, it, they exploded his head instead and did it on national TV and in a parade doing a victory lap after kicking them out of Cuba without telling our people that they also kicked our missiles out of Turkey. So, mm. well, you know, kind of like you little punk, 35-year-old, you almost started the nuclear war. We're going to show you, boom, there, whose head exploded now. So anyway, people, get over it. That's what happened. And on the other side of the coin, yeah. people are terrified to point a finger at their government for things like this. Of course. Because yeah. it's going to involve that Nixon and a lot of other presidents worked for the Soviet Union, and they can be proved guilty and decoded information all about it. Everything's going to become an unglued with this, but the, the people have a chance mm. to prove that we're not pathetic, yeah. that we're actually men, that we're actually don't like being peed on. Mm. And it has to do with uh, December 8th, this next two Thursdays away, I guess it is. Yeah, what's happening? Well, downtown Monterey. Oh, all right. right. If I don't get a thousand protesters in downtown Monterey, it's going to make Monterey and Santa Cruz look bad. Okay. It just is. Anything less than a thousand people over something like this, I mean, we have the freaking evidence. You can well, lie to yourself all you want about how you think I'm a nut. But we have the evidence. If you could just find your spine, we could make history. That's the Stephen King-John Lennon connection. Yeah, right? and Steve, I want to thank you. And I want to give a little bit of time to Dr. Future, who did want to devote some of today to talking about the Kennedy anniversary. We are probably going to delve in that mostly after our next, about after 3.30, because we have a very new understanding of what happened at the very first Thanksgiving. We want to share with some people who have been researching this quite in depth. Yeah. And just in terms of being a, an American who's not, I don't have any deep pockets or deep state connections, or my only access to information is just the conversations that I have with all the people in my world, including the people who call this radio station, is that the most important thing we can do is acknowledge the gift that we have as people who are living in this country, as people who have grown up in an era where we can speak our minds to each other and where we can be creative about how to solve the problems of the day. And the problems of the day are not the same problems of the past. So we need to maintain goodwill, realizing that there is a lot of individuality and people have a lot of diverse opinions about what's real and what's true and rather than thinking that we're the only ones who are right it's really important to maintain a view that 
we can be respectful and listen to each other. So that being respectful and listening to each other is the most important thing from my point of view. Alrighty. Okay. So one of the interesting stories this week regarding the JFK assassination 59 years later was a conversations inside Air Force One on the flight home from Dallas. There is a major historian, Steve Gillen, who pulls back the curtain on this. And this is being one of the most dramatic moments in our country's history. There is a podcast that is out there on the History Channel called 24 Hours After the JFK Assassination. That's when Jackie Kennedy flew back from Dallas on Air Force One and she sat next to her husband's coffin in the back of the plane and she wanted to be with him the whole time with her hand on the casket. That's the whole thing and how it unfolded. It was about how the advisors sat in shock drinking whiskey nearby, reminiscing about this whole thing about how their son, their newborn son Patrick, had died just two months earlier and the from respiratory distress syndrome and Jackie wanted uh, her husband buried next to Patrick and get the baby to be buried in Arlington. Wow. Yeah, and uh, anyway, it's a very interesting podcast if you're interested in some of the details of what happened immediately after that, as opposed to the whodunit component to the Kennedy assassination. When she entered the plane, Jackie, LBJ was there, and he had to be sworn in. Part of the interesting story there is that they wanted to make it clear to the American people that there was always someone in charge. And continuity so, of government. Continuity of government That's had to happen. That's why that picture went out, huh? So she, in order to do that, she did not change her clothes. She went out and with LBJ being sworn in on the plane before it took off at Dallas. She's there and that, that picture is emblazoned in our minds from that moment. It's, it's up on our uh, links page as well. It's very... She stood there with the bloody dress on, swearing in LBJ. It's a very profound shot. All right. Well, we'll see you after the break. Thanks for listening. It's time for the second hour of the Dr. and Mrs. Future program. And now, your host, Dr. Future. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the show. Well, I hope you're all planning to have a good Thanksgiving this week. Good weather for us out here on the West Coast. And I know we've got a big family gathering planned. How about you, Giselle? Friends, friends, Thanksgiving. Okay, and friends, family. Yeah. All right, oh, very good. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the tradition. Thanksgiving. It has deep roots, and we're going to explore some of them today with our guests Connie Baxter Marlowe and Andrew Bailey, both of whom are historians in many respects, photographers, uh, historians, uh, uh, biographers, uh, writers of uh, interesting. Uh, books on the, the nature of the universe, <laughs> and on and on. It's amazing. Connie is a descendant from the Mayflower and knows a thing or two about what actually happened at the first Thanksgiving and how it's gotten misinterpreted for many years. She's going to help straighten out the record on what actually unfolded. So, Connie and Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi. Good to be here, Dr. Future and Mrs. Future. We miss you. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to you guys' this next uh, pass-through on yeah. your migrations yeah. around the world. <laughs> looking like March. Good. Okay, okay. well, when it gets a little warm again, that's great. Mm-hmm. Set the stage here. Most of us have gone through school where we reenact the uh, pilgrims and the meeting the Indians, and they have a big Thanksgiving dinner together. 
then I think there was some controversy that come in about how it wasn't actually that way at all. Yeah, and the, the first signs of stress were when there were protests around Columbus Day because he was really a, a terrorist who killed the Native people and how we shouldn't be celebrating that and how that's really a Holocaust Day. And you guys have written a historical book about the first 50 years and about the relationship with some of the Native Americans, the Wampanoag, I believe, and the story you tell is uh, yeah, tell not necessarily yeah. well known. What is stands out with how it's missing? Or what is a better way to understand what happened? So the book is called The Mayflower Revelations, and I'll hand it over to Connie to tell her side of the story. Okay. Andrew wrote the book, the, the historical mystery novel, The uh-huh. Mayflower Revelations, but one thing we must not do is conflate the pilgrims with Columbus. So let's leave Columbus out Well, I just make that about Thanksgiving because there are a lot of people who really around Thanksgiving, they begin to feel oppressed and they begin to feel like it's a sign that America isn't working because it's a symbol of the Great Divide. And I think that you have something that speaks to that. Yeah, we do. And it's kind of the story never told because... The story's been out of balance since the beginning. That feast that you referred to did happen. Mm. It was a three-day intercultural celebration, pure and simple. The pilgrims and the natives, the Poconoke natives, who the Massasoit was a Poconoke who was down in what's now Rhode Island, was Mm. actually 40 miles away from Plymouth. They had created a peace treaty in the spring of 1621 and lived in peace and friendship for 54 years. And this celebration, this three-day intercultural harvest celebration, absolutely happened. And the way it's been out of balance is because we haven't acknowledged the heart and spirit of the Native people and their contribution to the evolution of the forming of this nation. So the story was out of balance because it glorified the pilgrims and just brought in the natives as just this one day of Thanksgiving or this three-day celebration, when in fact we need to acknowledge the native people Hmm. in the formation of this nation, in the very beginnings of this nation, and the synthesis that occurred between these people in that 54 years of peace and friendship. Would you say they had a spiritual connection between the natives and the pilgrims? How so? Because one oh, was yeah. Christian, one was Christian, and the other was uh, Native American, which... Is- well, from our perspective, see, I've spent extensive time with visionary Native elders over 30 years, uh-huh. and I have an understanding of their cosmology and their spirituality, and when I tracked the Mayflower pilgrims to find out who they were, yeah, and what I found was that they stood up to the King of England and committed treason and put their lives on the line to stand up for our right to act according to our conscience. Okay, that's according to our direct connection to the divine. That's the pilgrims' belief? Yes, that's the separatists. That's the Mayflower pilgrims. They were different from the Puritans who came ten years later. And they're conflated, they're confused with the the Puritans and and the separatists, the Mayflower pilgrims. And to see, the Native people live that way themselves as far as a direct connection to the Creator. They do what the Creator tells them to. Native 
Indian timing. It's okay if the creator says do it, I'll do it. If he doesn't, I won't. Did you know, it, and I'll uh, do it in creator time. Did all the people have a direct connection with the divine, or did they go through a intermediary? Well, no, they. Andrew, do you want to speak to this? Well, that's a big part of the point. They literally were directly connected to nature, which is another way of saying directly connected to the universe or all that is, or to the divine, mm. or to God, if you're using your end perspective on that. Same thing. No difference. So they had a personal Makes connection, and, and so did they the, had a, the separatist uh, pilgrims. Yes, so the, yes, exactly. So there's nothing in the Bible about bishops and ministers and popes and stuff like that. So the mission of, as I understand it, of the people who became the separatists, those who separated from the Church of England in Europe, in England, in the late 1500s, mm said, look, the Bible's now been translated into English. We don't have to have priests who's trained in the Latin language to tell us what it's about. We can read it for ourselves. And as they read it to a surprise, it was completely different from the structure that the church had adopted in England with all these overweight, beautifully dressed bishops and opulent castles and churches and monasteries and on and on. Yeah, they went to a they, direct dial system. <laughs> that's right. So they yeah. went back to the direct dial system, thank you, the <laughs> like little rotary dial and not the yeah, yeah, right. And they got, and when they started, when they, when they arrived in... Oh, in oh. Um, Can you hold that story about their arrival? We have to go to a commercial break, uh, and we'll be right back. Sure. Okay. Okay. Okay, we stand by. All right, we'll be right back. We're talking about the original Pilgrim story. Okay, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're talking about the original Pilgrim Thanksgiving, and we're getting a little background story from uh, Connie and Andrew, who are sharing uh, their research on the topic. There was a group of devout Christians who decided to go according to the newly translated Bible, and they couldn't find safety because there was no religious freedom in England. They went to Holland for 12 years, where they became quite liberalized, very liberal country. And then there had been a war between Holland and Spain. It's a long story, but there that truce was coming to an end, and it was Catholicism was possibly going to be reimposed on Holland. So they decided mm. to leave and come over here. When they got here, they met eventually the Native Americans. And as they learned each other's languages, they began to be able to communicate about such subjects as spirituality. Do you believe in a God? Mm. What, what's going on in the invisible realm? And they learned that basically they had the same vision, different languaging, different perspective on it, but there was a commonality of spiritual vision, of understanding of the nature of the spiritual universe. Connie, how, how would you express that? I, I express it in the, the pilgrims standing up to the King of England for our right to act according to our conscience, which is our direct connection to the divine, our highest selves. And that is how the native people live, is that direct connection to creator. They go out on the hill and they cry for a dream in a... In a like a vision quest. Vision quest. Like Thank a vision quest, right. Yeah, and they get information and they act accordingly. Okay, so this is the spiritual alignment. And this is where we're going mm. as a species. 
okay, on the evolutionary upward spiral, we call it, as we shift in consciousness and these old systems fall away that are right now falling away because there's a new frequency and we're going to a higher level of conscience and consciousness. Where everyone has a direct connection. Everyone has a direct connection with the divine. Yeah, and that's how we're going to live. The world's going to come into balance and we're going to live like that. And that's what the seed was planted in the very beginning of this nation with the Mayflower Pilgrims who were, in fact, spiritual activists, and they're coming together with the Native people who have played a role Mm. throughout history in the evolution of this nation. President Biden just acknowledged that in his proclamation on Indigenous Peoples Day. I don't know if you're aware of that. But what's key is that we actually acknowledge the role of the Native people in the evolution of this nation and the evolution of consciousness of humanity. Mm-hmm. So, and so from very, the very beginning, picture. which are the most important aspects of that to acknowledge, would you say? Like, what are the visceral, recognizable things that we Americans can thank the Native people for? To be connected to nature, to be connected to spirit, to know, to trust our own intuition, to know that we receive guidance. All of those things were just taken for granted by the Native people and communicated to the pilgrims. There's one incident where Edward Winslow had spent the night with one of the Native um, chiefs who was a kind of aggressive guy. He was not easy to get along with. He was not happy about these folks showing up. But he questioned them. He said, why do you, when you eat, what are these words you say? And Winslow said, we give thanks to God as the provider of our food. And he said a few more things about the nature of how they perceived God. And the Indians responded, and they said, you know what? We believe all of those same things. We absolutely believe the same things you've just said. That's interesting. The only thing we don't believe is that men should have only one wife. But that's a whole other subject. Now, what about the introduction of the, I want to say that there were contributions to our system of law, like the balance of powers. Well, Benjamin Franklin was involved with that. Oh, beautiful, yeah. 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 This is now 150 years into the future. Now we're getting to what Connie calls the second great synthesis, the coming together of the Iroquois Confederacy, its constitution, that influenced the American constitution. Connie? Yes, absolutely. And it's somewhat controversial. Some people want to say that the whole Constitution came out of the great law of the Iroquois. Others want to say that the great law of the Iroquois had no influence on the Constitution. But Uh, what the position we take is it's It's very obvious. Yeah. Yeah, it's a synthesis. And it's very obvious that there was a deep connection between Ben Franklin and other leaders with the Iroquois. And the Iroquois chiefs were actually invited to the Continental Congress. So it's very obvious that there was a serious... Strong influence there. So we call that the second great synthesis. And now we're in the third great synthesis as the new science is showing us that we are one which the Native people have always known, that we are one consciousness, the oneness and sacredness of all life. And so what we're moving into now is that oneness, unity, consciousness, and what comes out of the love in our hearts is the sacredness of all life. And then we will notch up in frequency and into this other reality once we open our hearts to the sacredness, which is what 
the native people have been carrying. So as um, as descendants of um, as descendants of white Europeans, then then part of our heritage that the Europeans don't have is that native awareness, or if yeah. we Although choose to pay attention. Indigenous, yeah. Every European is ultimately indigenous in our ancestry. I'm probably back there with Vikings or Siberians or whatever. You know, I'm an Englishman, but that England was invaded over and over and over again by waves of people from the mainland. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're all indigenous at our spiritual roots. But here we yeah. have uh, the living natives to impart their wisdom yes. to us. Exactly. exactly. And what the scientific paradigm in the 15 and 1600s of the, the dead universe that we're all just billiard balls, everything's chance, and it separated us from our hearts, from the rest of nature. Mm. So we've been operating on that scientific paradigm that brought the Industrial Revolution and all that and brought this crisis forth of the whole climate crisis, et cetera, because it was out of balance mm. with nature, with our hearts, with universal law. And that's what the new science is coming forth and opening our hearts and minds to the fact that every thought we have affects all of creation. It's a holographic universe. We are the universe. Mm-hmm. You see? And, and that's all part of, of the awareness. Yeah. Connectivity yeah. to mm-hmm. all that is. So what are, I you say saying, is, are you no. saying that because our thoughts affect reality that we can actually make a difference just by starting with our thoughts or is there yeah. more to it than that absolutely son absolutely mm-hmm. our thoughts our emotions everything we have a responsibility to the collective consciousness of humanity to move into that higher place to move into our hearts and love and compassion it's all on people's lips at this time we have that responsibility now that we know that we are the universe. Well, so what do we what do we do with all of the emotions that people are expressing that are coming from frustration and anger and fear and distrust and betrayal? All of these negative emotions that have become such a big part of the separation between all the people. We celebrate Thanksgiving together. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding in the least. The yeah. reason, from my perspective, the reason for Thanksgiving is that it remembers, it memorializes a time when very different people from opposite sides of that great divide in those days came together and were able to have a festivity together and be together for the next half century. If we, the divided people of America, could be together in peace and harmony for the next 54 years like our ancestors did back then, think the different world would see. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Take us back for a moment to that three-day celebration, and what was that like? Well, there's only one little paragraph of it, but fortunately, the English were passionate journalists. Yeah. They wrote stuff down. That stuff went on the next boat to England and got published. Did so they... we have records, right? We yeah. actually have written records from back in the day, published in 1622. So they have and a big have table? Par- I mean, do they have a big table where they all sat they around? Or? There's no mention of a table. Is there? Uh, they uh, did, they, did the Mayflower take all these great European goods that they had and shared them with the natives, and the natives shared deer and turkey with us? So or? there's very much a sharing of food. Uh-huh. Realized what we call the first Thanksgiving in the autumn of 1621 was a year after their landing that had a successful crop that actually had a harvest. Oh. And they had a successful 
time of hunting because in the fall in New England today, even right now, we're here in Colorado. There are turkeys all over the place. <laughs> Back then, there were turkeys. There were fish. You could almost like walk over the water. The fish were so thick. I mean, the descriptions of the, the sheer um, marine abundance are outrageous. And yeah, let natives, me read. Let me read. And the native here. people themselves brought five deer, contributed deer. The English contributed what they did. It was a potluck dinner that went on for three long days. Okay, Honey let's let, long, Honey let Honey read. We have about one Honey minute before the break. Yeah, Perfect. Okay, so besides waterfowl, there was a great store of wild turkeys, of which they took many besides venison. That's the description of leading up to it. Huh. Ninety Massasoit and 90 of his men came, and they feasted and harvested, and there were 51 pilgrims. Wow. So listen, that's a hundred, almost a hundred natives and fifty pilgrims, and they feasted and celebrated for three days. Three purely days. and simply. It was a serious. It was like a Santa Cruz party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of drumming. And, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's a wonderful time that, and now we're in a time of healing, of purging out. Yeah. Emotions well, we're going to have to have you guys come back and give a more deep, detailed understanding of that. But can you give us a website yeah, or something to, to access in the meantime? Yeah. Someplace where. Well, we have you? a website, first50years, Y E A R S dot U S. First50 years. And first is F I R S T. No, F I five. F-I-R-S-T years dot slash about and you go to the about and you get an understanding of our work with our first 50 years project to All bring right. this story thank this you high Connie Baxter Marlowe thank awesome. you yeah. Andrew Cameron thank you guys Bailey. have a very happy oh, Thanksgiving to hear your voices guys happy we love you love being with you too. guys yeah. again love you too thanks for having us on thank you for spreading this message yeah, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying. Okay, welcome back to the second commercial break to the end. And this is our time when we can take callers from you and talk about Thanksgiving, Kennedy assassination, Twitter, whatever is on your mind. Uh, so give us a call at 831-479-1080. And let's start with... John in Capitola. Hi, John. Hey, John. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for calling. Thank you for having me. I was hoping to get a comment from your guest, but I'll just... I'll shoot it to you and see what you guys think. I'm wondering sure. what the native approach is to a solution to these chemtrails. She oh, mentioned beautiful. something about... Well, we'll bring them back and talk about this stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a uh, good question. interesting question. Yeah. Andrew and Connie, if you're still listening, feel free to call back. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been following this, but it, it's been a little bit more mainstream. They're being open about it. White House announced a few days ago that they're going to be they didn't call them the chemtrails, but they called it something else. They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to look at this new geoengineering approach to climate change, and we're going to start reflecting the sunlight away from everything. And 
Really? That seems huh. very diabolic to me. Yeah, like sure. it might stop us having the ability to grow our food, for instance, or <laughs> you well, mean, food, what kind of sunshine, well, according all that to other geoengineering watch. Be- according to geoengineering watch, this has been going on for a while. That yeah, did you yeah, listen has, to that show on Saturday yeah. morning? Yeah. I didn't, but I did listen to like the tail end of the food chain, and food chain was interviewing Dane Wigington. Yes, the same he's guy. the guy that does that show. Yeah, right. and Dane Wigington does the show before the food chain, which he does every week, and it's syndicated on a number of stations, but he basically gives a weekly report on Geoengineering Watch. Well, here's the, the thing, though. His show. Here's the thing, is that what we can do as citizens of this country is citizen science. We could send drones up and analyze the trails as we see them and see what's in them. Has we, that been done already? No, it hasn't. hasn't. And I'm, That's uh, a surprise. Yeah, at least as far as I know. Maybe someone out there knows. about. But I've been looking for that. I've, I've asked uh, Dwayne, who runs the show on, the, on Geoengineering Watch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he didn't know about it. He was convinced. You see, he didn't want new information. I talked to him. He said that there's enough evidence already to show that geoengineering is happening and that we need to act on it and stop it and create a better world by doing it that way. But I'm saying that we could have a science program where we're investigating chemtrails as they happen, analyze them, and get the data, much like we have for the wildfires where we have readouts on the air quality. Count count me in on that. I want to be part of that solution because I've had that thought for a few years that that would be a really easy way to prove just taking it to a reputable trustworthy place that's going to analyze it or have some yeah if you have a friend that knows how to use a uh, what do they call it a spectrometer spectrometer, yeah right Uh, that technology's been around for a while nasa's used it i talked to some people are saying there's commercial companies in silicon valley that specialize in that the sensor technology is just phenomenal today and there's no reason why we shouldn't use it for such purposes yeah, and John, if you do want to have us kind of consult you when we know we're doing some kind of geoengineering-related topic, why don't you send us an email at future at ksco.com, and then, yeah. you know, future, we'll know. Future, yeah, yeah, future at ksco. If there are any entrepreneurs out there, this could be a purple air for the air. Right. <laughs> Way yeah. up in the air. No, it, I mean, yeah. it, it could be a great startup yeah. idea. Who's got drones? It may have you know, they could other carry the uses the besides uh, checking for geoengineering. I'm, right. I'm definitely curious about it, but I'm also understand what uh, Dane is saying about it's a bit redundant because they're already admitting that they're going to be doing it for such a purpose. Mm-hmm. So what we would be finding would just be the actual chemicals that are being used and, and show how they're going to be detrimental. Yeah, to if it's everything. properly reported, like on Twitter, then people will uh, huh. suddenly believe it, not just think of it as just another conspiracy theory. Mm. Okay. Know, it'll change its uh, value in the minds of the, it, of the populace. They've been going off, off the chart the past three days, ever since I heard that announcement from the White House, and they're doing it over there at the, the I think it's a G20. Mm-hmm. Yes, for the past G20. three, four days, the chemtrails have been crazy, and it's not just here. It's up in the Bay Area. I have friends that are sharing pictures of the sky yeah, from I've up there. Yeah, I've noticed, too. Yeah, Since well, the last time it rained here, it's been check marks in the a, sky every single day. That's great. We have pictures. Next chapter is uh, the analysis of the pictures. You know, I mean, it only makes sense best caption would be the contents of the chemtrail. Well, citizens could report on what happens after you see this in the sky. Do you mm. notice a I mean, pattern? How, they feel, uh, feel how do you feel? Uh, health, less you know, healthy or something? You, you could have a whole chart that mm. the community participates in. And sure, are you having headaches? Twitter or are you polls. feeling sick? Or <laughs> do you have runny eyes? And see if there's correlation. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks yeah. for bringing it up, it's, John. It's a good start. It's a good start, but we also need to have a, a, the long, and maybe we'll work on this behind the scenes, but a long-term mm. vision on how to stop it because yeah. just knowing that it's bad for us is not going to make them stop it. Look how long it took for the vaccines and the mandates to stop. It took two years and a, a threat of, of truckers going to D.C. for them to stop the mandates. Uh, most of the man. Yeah. Well, what, what I'm we curious. Need some kind of activism going on regarding chemtrails. Yes. And I've been curious myself to know what the motivation and intent was originally to put all that funding into something like this. Do they really believe that these chemicals in the upper atmosphere will save the planet? Or is there some more nefarious motivation cheap, going on here? Cheap way to get rid of hazardous materials and also depopulate. Depopulate. Okay. Yeah. That's the nefarious agenda. Okay. Same, same thing yeah. with the, the vaccine. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't know. Whenever I hear these nefarious agendas, yeah. I remind people how hard it is to get rid of ants. <laughs> Have you ever had an ant infestation in your house or roaches or mice you or whatever? You try everything. You when try you do have ants, you try everything. You try the flamethrower. You try the... <laughs> you know what? And you can't get rid of them. And it's the well, same the, thing with the humans on Earth. We're really yeah. smart and you know, you just can't get rid of us. Yeah. I'm we sorry. Are not, uh, you can't spray them like bugs. Humans. It's not going to work. Yeah. The Good thing is that we're all, we're all humans. We're all humans and the people that are doing this to us are also just people. We yes, that's, that's good it. to remember. So back to yeah. the solution being peace in our heart and finding a way to make it better, not worse. <laughs> uh, update the code. Update the program here. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thank you All for right. taking my call. You bet. Appreciate it, John. Sure. Thanks for calling, John. Okay. And you uh, Yeah, let's keep calls? going. Yeah. Okay, let's, we uh, got Firefall roll here. and Monterey. Firefall, Hi, Firefall. how you doing? Hello. Have you ever uh, heard of an oscillated turkey? They're more brilliant than a peacock. Actually, they're at least as brilliant as a peacock. They live in Campeche, yeah. Yucatan, Veracruz, and you could get on uh, YouTube and see the pictures of them. They, they, they look just like more, at least as brilliant as a peacock. And they're, uh, wow. there's like about 12 or more species of turkeys. But the reason I called mm. is because I wanted to ask your guests, maybe they could, they're listening, mm -hmm. about the Manitou. And when... When all of the wildlife, what makes America, North America, a great continent is because of the diversity of wild animals and, and all the creatures and everything, which are now gone. Mm -hmm. And they're directly connected to the native people. And without the animal life now, you have dead silence at night. There's no crickets in the summer. You don't hear the birds in the spring. It is the silent spring. So the Manitou is what happens once all the wildlife is gone, there is something called an absence of life. It doesn't mean there's something there. It means there's nothing there. Wow. And what that does is it creates a dark power, a dark force. And there are no crickets in the summer. There, there was a little bit coming back during the COVID restrictions, but now with all the traffic back. Well, so I guess what I'm interested in is where does their experience, which sounds yeah. Kind of similar to what I think uh -huh. with the Manitou and this absence of all the wildlife now in our country, which is one of the things that made it a great, beautiful country. Yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. My my understanding is that it's a it's a direct connection with nature. So what you do is that you go into a place where you can directly connect with nature, whatever that is for you. Some people, it's being outdoors uh, or sweat lodge. 
Others, it's uh, mushrooms on a mountaintop, you know. So it really depends on who you are and your proclivities to connecting directly with the divine, which in this case is nature. Do you know what this word Manitou means? That's what I'm trying to explain. Yeah. It's um, a what? It's a silence. A part, it, it sounds like the dead zone or, uh, you know, like a, uh, where there's no, no life, right? So that is what, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying for the last two minutes. What you just said. I just wanted to make sure that that's you. Can I explain what I meant by the Manitou is what happens when all of the wildlife has been extinguished. They leave in their wake an absence. So it's kind of like the opposite of life, but it isn't evil. Yeah. But it does have a dark force. And what I'm trying to explain to you is we have eliminated our heritage in this country. I don't give big D about the English or what the pilgrims did. I care about what makes this America a great country to be proud of. The people and the wild animals and the land. And then if the Europeans want to be guests here and they want to build a country here with the native people, that's that's what I would be okay with. But nothing has turned out that way. And I'm not letting everybody off the hook here. I think there was a lot of wars among the native people too. But I'm just saying that but what was a heritage, what was pure, it is gone. And I'm, the reason I brought up the Manitou is I thought maybe they would know something about that spiritual connection to what happens when all the wildlife is gone. Yeah, well, I'll ask him uh, right, next time. Thanks. Uh, but thanks for calling for the Manitou. Okay, we've got to go to a commercial break, and then we'll be right back for the final 15 minutes. I've got another interesting story to share that I completely non-sequitur to what we're talking about, but I think it'll somehow fit right in. See you in a minute. I was flying. Okay, welcome back to the show. I thought this was a very interesting article on connecting with nature in a strange way I'd never seen before. <laughs> and it has to do with our ability to pick up a beat where you can get the timing and you, uh, you're shaking your hips, your dance floor, the drum, that sort of thing. Well, interestingly, the scientists at the University of Tokyo explored the potential beat ability or beat synchronicity, they call it, in animals by working with mice. You mean mice can dance? Apparently, apparently, yeah, yeah, apparently. (laughs) This experiment involved 20 humans and 10 rats, actually, all fitted with accelerometers to track their head movements. And the scientists then played these one-minute music excerpts, mostly of Mozart, classical scientists, at four different tempos. And they found that, like humans, the rats jerked their heads in time with the beat. (laughs) (laughs) They call it beat synchronicity. That's pretty funny. I don't know if I ever felt like tapping my head to the beat of Mozart. (laughs) 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 It's like two different genres. Mozart in the beat range of 120 to 140 beats per minute. (laughs) All right, 120 to 140. Okay. And then this looks like it's the first report on innate beat synchronization in animals. Mm. The animals were not trained in music or music exposure. This was completely automatic, if you will. 
in the genes. The findings shed light on the whole idea that beak synchronicity might exist in other creatures too, but for sure with the mice. And that it makes you wonder whether or not we could create music that the animals would dance to. How about rat rap? Rat rap. <laughs> yeah. If you're noticing that they're going to the beat, and if you're a musician, you kind of notice how people are responding to your beat, right? When you're writing a tune or playing it. Wouldn't it make sense that you could do that with a non-human audience? Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> it would make sense. Uh, you know, it kind of leans credence to some of those stories I heard as a kid. Somebody named like Pied Piper or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the rats liked the song and followed him out of town. <laughs> yeah. And Shane, feel free to kill back if you're listening from Australia. We always love to hear from you. Oh, yes. Shane yeah. called in just as mm-hmm. we were about to talk to our guests, Connie and Andrew. And it's always great to hear a perspective from down under. Yeah. So beat synchronicity in mice. So if you have a pet mouse in the house, you know, they might like 120 to 140 beats per minute. (laughs) Yeah, I just like to say I'm really glad that we give ourselves permission to see the world through optimistic lenses. I know there's a lot of stress in the holidays and obviously from like the callers today, there seems to be a lot of energy directed into feeling terrible about the world that we're living in and I believe in acknowledgement, but I also believe that you can actually make things better if you have a hopeful, optimistic perspective. Yeah, making you feel that way is probably part of the depopulation plan. (laughs) So be careful that one. Yeah. Well, I say acknowledge and then move on. Don't spend all your time lamenting the terrible aspects of what's true. Find the balance. Anyway, I just appreciate that you're bringing in something a little lighter. That, that mice can dance. Yeah, you mice know. can dance. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I could have sworn I've seen parrots here. dance on TikTok. You've seen parrots? Oh, yeah. I've, I've danced with parrots. Have you? Me too. Did you say they're carrying the beat as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Cockatoos are great and, dancers. And you see, that's what that brings and another singers. element. Because <laughs> I think that scientists are great in terms of studying these things and that they realize maybe we can do music and share that with them. But they're, they're not cool. Right, in the sense of, like, they don't just hang out with the animals. Scientists? Yeah, I mean, they study them, right? It's kind of like um, you look at them, you're, it's our species studying theirs. It's learning about them. But there's a, a more of a artistic approach, a more of the musical approach for musicians, I think, is that they're more people persons, if you will, and they connect with the creature as a creature, as a being. Mm. You know, it's like more we of can a direct, be friends. Like, we're, like Connie and Andrew were talking about how the Native Americans were more of a direct connection. They saw the divinity in each other and, and they saw it in the pilgrims and the pilgrims saw it in them because the mm-hmm. pilgrims were into direct connection as well with the divine sure. as opposed to being part of the British church. Affirming system. their yeah. commonality instead well, of denying right. it or seeing exploiting that the differences. Right. And once you have that connection going, then all things are possible. And as Connie brought up, the yeah. founders of this country, she said spiritual rebels, or did she say spiritual? It was they, well, they left their country for because they, the United they States were going for, for the direct, activists. Uh, I believe they were spiritual direction. activists, right? Yeah. That's what she said. Yeah, and I think that's something we forget about the United States is those roots. That we have those. Uh, yeah, well, and I all think about the, an economic incentive. The perspective she brought in that we don't say thank you enough to the native people for the unique American 
perspective that we do have this freedom that is at the level of the individual that is coming from our individual connection with purpose and conscience and the divine and that based on that individual connection we respect that in each other well our country is not controlled by any one spiritual practice Hmm. right it's the basis for the belief in the freedom of religion meaning that you don't tell a person what they can worship or not worship Mm -hmm. according to you you only tell yourself that when i was traveling in the soviet union in 1989 uh, people would get arrested for smuggling bibles into the country yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, i mean they were trying to abolish religion we have to affirm how special it is in america we all grew up thinking that the world was like this and then coming to the realization no this is the only place that's like this it really is a miracle Mm -hmm. of individuals being able to fully realize their personal vision to the degree that they can. The environment might not be that supportive, but at least there is a desire to support that in individuals as opposed to other places where they want to suppress individuals. Mm, Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about regarding the suppression is that did you know that as the pilgrims are experiencing this amazing connection with the natives in, in Massachusetts, there was a Virginia colony that was massacred by the natives. I think it was in uh, 1622. And the news of that traveled faster than the good news of what the pilgrims were experiencing. And in England, the news went back there. And the, the idea was, that, well, those darn natives, they're killing our people. And let's go to war with them. And so there was that whole major sensibility hitting the British papers and that sort of thing at the time that all this peace was going on up in Massachusetts. Which just goes to show you that the headlines that you read like distort the, your perception. Like the Ukraine of the war picture. is going on right now while we are having fun in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Both are equally true realities. It's just the war gets the attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all have filters. Some people are programming themselves to filter for sympathy. Some people are programming Mm -hmm. themselves to filter for happiness. Some people are programming themselves to filter for threat. Mm -hmm. I think that we amplify those things that are closest to our sensibilities. Yeah. So if if it bleeds, it leads as they say with the media, <laughs> that's our <laughs> the human sensibility. So what do we do with that? That seems to be fundamentally in our species operating system. So the question that comes to me is how do you update the species operating system? How does that happen actually? Well, we got to learn the literacy of how these tools are affecting our thoughts and uh-huh. how our thoughts are amplifying what Amp- we read. Thoughts and see. amplify. So what you pay attention to is part of the programming process. Yeah. And so since now so much of our attention goes into these screens that manage content mm-hmm. and the information that comes to us And that we have way. access to an amazing amount of information today, like right. never before in the history of the species. Yeah. And it's really good to acknowledge how much control we have over, if we don't like the content, turn the channel. We have more yeah. channels than we've ever had in history. So we have more responsibility to take responsible for our own thoughts. Right, right. So. And direct our attention towards those things that can allow us to make a better contribution. We'll create the content ourselves. Yes, that sure. That can change anything. If you don't like the news, make some of it your own. You know who that? Who's Scoop Nixker. <laughs> 
<laughs> really? I thought that was Chevy Chase. <laughs> oh, no, no. If you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. That's yeah, let's do some new ones. And just as I said that, one of, uh, one of my uh, providers of information sent me this amazing document on risk outlooks for 2023, the top 10 risk scenarios that could reshape the global economy. And now these are the kinds of things you can't tackle in the last minute of the show. Okay, but you sure. may as well read it fast, and but, then we'll okay. let Marsha okay. say goodbye. Oh, Marsha, yes. Okay. okay, okay, good. Yeah, these are the problems that we have to solve in the next year. Uh, deteriorating ties between us uh, and China. Monetary tightening leading to global recession. New highly aggressive variant of COVID emerging. Cold winter worshipping energy crisis in Europe. The war in Ukraine becoming global. Oh, no. China's zero COVID policy. Uh, cyber war erupts planetary-wide. Conflict between China and Taiwan. And extreme weather promoting famine and high inflation fueling social unrest. That's the basic stuff we just have to solve within the next year. And we'll be fine. <laughs> okay? So yeah. let's say goodbye All to right. Marsha. So let's, let's yeah. tackle that with some goodwill. Marsha, we've got the last minute here. Yes. You have to say Happy something Thanksgiving. optimistic. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone around the world. Remember, in God we trust. We don't want to give that up. I love you guys so much. Uh, we happy thanks for your Thanksgiving. happy spirit. And Marsha, we trust. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks you, everybody. Love, love you too. Sweetie. All right, and uh, thanks, Connie and Andrew and all the other callers and everybody here at KSEO, Santa Cruz, who makes this conversation open for everyone. And yes, and Bruce and Giselle, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.